HCIC Next is a podcast focusing on how digital leaders are reshaping marketing and the healthcare industry. This podcast series shares information about the innovations that are happening today in digital marketing and helps you understand how to apply what has worked in other health systems across the country to your very own organization. The episode you're about to hear was originally captured at the 2019 Healthcare Internet Conference in Orlando, Florida. This session was titled, Discovering the Right Blend of Digital Advertising and Social Media and Healthcare. And in this episode, you're going to hear Emily Hartzog, Vice President at Chartwell Agency, and Jake Myers, Vice President at Gatehouse Media. Let's give it a listen. Hello, everybody. Everybody having a great conference so far? Yes, great. Well, Jake and I are very excited to be here today. Today's topic is digital advertising for healthcare. So we are in the right room, yes? (laughs) All right. So uh, we have been asked to go an inch deep and a mile wide for you. I know that throughout this conference, you're going uh, an inch wide and a mile deep, and I've sat in a lot of those sessions. So we're going to talk about the strategy of tying things together. Um, so hopefully that is uh, what you're here for today, is, uh, is pulling things together with regards to uh, you know, the, the digital space. And we've had the pleasure of interacting with many attendees already. We know some of you, for some of you, this will be very familiar. For others others that are new to the space or interested in learning more, hopefully we can satisfy both ends of the spectrum. So we're going to talk about four easy steps for digital advertising. The first is know your patient. The second is assess your online health. The third is prescribe the right platforms. And then, of course, we need to know the ever-important outcomes. I want to talk for a minute about consumer behavior because consumer behavior really sets the tone for what we should be doing in healthcare. And we don't always think of healthcare in terms of buying a phone or shopping for our next car, but it really is impacting the way our patients seek out providers and the way they consider the decisions they have to make and ultimately how they review us. So just to set the stage.
Okay, so most shocking statistic for anyone. Anything jump out? The toothbrush thing really gets me. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. We've all had this happen to us, right? How many of you at some point at this conference have had pocket panic, where you're like, where's my phone? There's a name for it. It's nomophobia. Did you know that? So we're like, as a society, we're afflicted with this massive case of nomophobia. And why is that? It's because that's our connection. That's the way we relate to each other. That's the way we maintain relationships. That's the way we connect to the brands. That's our handheld computer. That's how we get information. So when we lose that tether to our world, we understandably freak out a little bit. And as marketers, it's our, our job to figure out how do we take that and turn that into something that we can use. That sounds a little self-serving, but it is what it is, right? So let's talk a little bit about consumer behavior because, again, if we're setting the context for what we as marketers need to do and how we can take these digital mediums and make them work for us, we need to understand <laughs> our consumer. We need to understand how our patients consume information and what they require. 56% of media consumption is digital, so you are all at the right conference. <laughs> That's great. 14.8 uh, is the number of sources the average person consults when they're making a purchasing decision. And if you think about it, those 14.8 can happen in rapid succession, right? You see an online review, you click on something. So when I say 14.8, I don't mean 14.8 unique searches, but 14.8 sources. The average budget de dedicated to digital, and I want you to remember this number because healthcare is way behind this. But if we look at, in general, the average percent allocated to digital is 24 to 26%, but then I would ask you to reference that number up top. So we are not married. So anybody who wants to take this slide and then present it to your CEO, feel free. Advocate for more budget. So intent trumps identity and immediacy trumps loyalty. Does that, does that resonate with you guys to track with that? Right? Intent trumps identity. So you know, if we flip back a couple of years, maybe we look at like the mid-90s. If I'm, let's get out of healthcare for a second because we're talking enough about healthcare this week, right? If I'm running Sports Illustrated, who am I marketing to? If I'm putting a marketing plan together, who am I marketing to? You can say it. We know. Men, yes, right? We are marketers. You. We're allowed to stereotype, right? We're marketing to men, right? Of what? A certain age and maybe a certain income level, right? And that's who we're going after. Who are we missing in all of that? Women. You can say it. Right? It's okay. We know. It's all right. 75% of this room, right, is being missed. But more, more importantly, sports-loving women are being missed in that, right? So what, what we're saying, this is a quote that I stole from Google, um, what we're saying here is that demographics no longer nearly as important as psychographics, right? Immediacy trumping loyalty. So if we're going to do a home improvement project tomorrow, where are we going? Lowe's or Home Depot? Where are my Lowe's fans in the house? All right. Home I'm, Depot? I'm among my people. Who's going to Home Depot? It's like it's like almost like you guys need to sit over here because yeah. this is the Home Too Depot. Too many Home Depot site. fans. Who's going somewhere else? Couple. Where are you going? Anywhere else. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So a few weeks ago, uh, I go to Chicago with my wife and my three-year-old and our nine-month-old, and we board the dog and we go to have a great weekend. Right? Turns out we had the world's worst weekend. It was awful. Right? We get an Airbnb. The air conditioning doesn't work. This was a few weeks ago. It was in the summer. It was July. Right? Air, condi air conditioning doesn't work. I've got a sweaty three-year-old, a sweaty nine-month-old. What do sweaty kids not do? Sleep. Sleep right? <laughs> so uh, we have a sweaty weekend. Right? Uh, my wife's purse gets stolen at the Navy Pier, so she loses all of her stuff. So we jump in the car. I live in Columbus, Ohio. So we jump in the car. We drive five hours to get home. We pick up the dog. We bring the dog into the house. We all go to bed. And finally, nightmare weekend is over, right? For once in my life, I'm looking forward to Monday morning, right? Bring it on. Let's go with Monday morning. Except Monday morning for me came at 3 a.m. 
when the alarm, the smoke alarm started chirping because the battery was going out, right? So for the modern family fans in the house, now I'm Phil Dunphy, right? I've got the upside down broom, right? And I'm running around the house in the dark trying to knock down the smoke detectors to check for the battery. Well, before I get to the one that's chirping, I decided to flick a light on because why not? Thank God I did because it kept me from stepping in what I can only describe as dog fluids, right? So there's dog fluids all over this area rug that I had bought about six years ago. So now I'm like, okay, can't do this by myself. This is a two-man job. So I go and I get my wife. Uh, she comes out. She's cleaning up. I'm still trying to find the smoke alarm. I finally get it. I look over, and I see you're cleaning up this rug, and I'm like, no way. Done. Rip it out. So we pull this sucker out from underneath the, underneath the furniture. We roll it up to throw it in the backyard for me to deal with it tomorrow. Uh, and I realize that there's a barcode on the back. So what do I do? Of course, it's 3.30 in the morning, and I'm a millennial. So I grab my Amazon scanner, and I say, is it available? Right? Now, I bought this rug at Lowe's six years ago because I'm, I'm a loyal Lowe's guy. Scan it from Amazon. Guess what? Amazon has it now. In addition, it's $150 less, and I'm a Prime member. So a couple extra bucks, I get it the next day. I come home from work. Rug is on my, on my front step. By 7 p.m. the next day, a brand new version of the exact same rug that the dog just ruined is now underneath my furniture. Right? So who wins in that scenario? My dog, right? The dog can clearly do whatever he wants with no repercussions, right? I heard Amazon and I heard me. Yes, yes, right? Who loses? Lowe's. But who am I loyal to? If asked on a survey who I'm loyal to from, from a uh, home improvement perspective, it's Lowe's. 100% of the time it's Lowe's. Except 100% of the time it's not Lowe's, right? So our loyalty can be trumped based off of a need or an immediacy. And this is why it's so important for us to remember consumer mindset, because our consumers, our patients, spend most of their life as consumers. Amazon taught them how to vet options. Google teaches them how to get information. So they're being taught by consumer-related or other industries, and then healthcare is saying, but not for us. For us, we do it this way. And a consum consumers are pushing back, and they are starting to show the same sort of behaviors in their healthcare decisions, in the way they want information presented, and how they relate to their providers that they have shown in other areas of their life, which makes total sense. We should not be surprised by this, right? So if we look at the consumer decision-making process, I want you to put on your, I'm about to buy a new phone, or I want to buy a new car, or whatever. This is the process that most consumers go through. The first is you need to be aware of the options. So you're looking for a new car. You're kind of saying, I, I, I like you know, this. I like the new Mazda. I like the new Ford. I tend to like the Audi. Might be out of my price range, but OK, let's look at these options. I have, I'm a, I have an awareness of the, the brands that are out there that I like. Then I go into my search phase. That's when I start comparing options. And it's really important at this phase that I know and every, who's in the mix and why they're in the mix. So then I go into evaluation. It's what I call like the Amazon checkbox. So you know that feature in Amazon that says, this feature has, this product has these features. This product has these features. Here's how they compare. That's my evaluation phase. What does option one have that option two doesn't have? What do I like about product A versus product B? And then I make a decision. I make a purchase. And then there's the moment when the box shows up on my doorstep and I open it and I hope that what's in my head is reflected with what's in the box. And I want you to think for a minute about how this relates to your patient experience. What as marketers we have put out into the world that says, as a patient, you are going to be treated this way, you are going to feel this, and then they come to your office. It's the same thing as opening that Amazon box and going, oh, it's smaller than I thought. Hmm. 
didn't look exactly the way I thought it was going to look. Which leads me to that post-purchase, the critical review, right? And we are living this reality in healthcare, and it's relatively new for us. The other thing that we're dealing with is that everybody has a medical degree. Did you know that? <laughs> everybody has a medical degree conferred upon us by WebMD. And 60% of patients will come into their healthcare search experience pre-diagnosing, doing their own medical research. And then, after they're diagnosed, they want to make sure that the doctor's actually right. So they will visit another 12.4 sources to make sure that the doctor's not full of hooey. This is consumerism at work because healthcare patients are starting to think like consumers as it relates to their healthcare. They're starting to go through that same process and taking ownership of a lot of the decisions that they make through that process. Now, when we think about search, we think about going to Google and saying, this is the information I need. Or we think about going to Amazon and looking for a product. And in healthcare, search is a really important element. Yeah, so I mean, again, it's not lost on this group that uh, you know, the consumerism within healthcare is going to change. It's going to look different day in and day out. What I think is very important is not necessarily what it looks like day in and day out or in the individual silos, inch wide, mile deep, like we've been talking about, uh, but rather, how does it look across that entire patient journey? So what we know, and again, we're stealing some, we like to cite our sources, so we're stealing some data from our Google friends, uh, but what we know is that 49% of these searches start non-branded. They start with conditions or diseases. They move through uh, symptoms, treatments, procedures, and then eventually we get to branded, right? But when we start, this is what that looks like. This is what that breakdown looks like with regards to how we start to gather information as we move towards making a decision. By the time we're done, nearly half of all of those searches are then branded. So we've done all of that research. So to Emily's point, by the time we ever in, in, engage and experience any type of an interaction with a healthcare <coughs> provider, a physician or an office or a healthcare provider, by the time we, we've done that, we've already done all of our research, right? We already know who we're looking for, where we're looking for them, and now it becomes a question of how do I engage? How easy is it going to be to take action? So if we start to think the way we think when we're dealing with retail purchases, but we apply that to healthcare, we need to remember that ultimately healthcare consumers want it now. They want the information now. They want to feel good about it now. They need that immediacy. They want to feel empowered. Again, when I'm searching for a new phone, I do the research. I gather the information. I vet the options. In healthcare, patients are looking for what are my options? What's the information I need? How do I vet them? I want to be empowered to make those decisions. And if you're not providing me the information I need, I will go somewhere else that will provide me the information that I need. And they want it to be easy. Amazon has trained us that it should be easy to get the information I need. Google has trained us that it should be easy to collect this. So if I go to your website and it's not easy, you're already failing me. So we said we were going to do this in four easy steps. And step one is know your patient. A physician would never see a patient without some basic intake questions, without knowing a little bit about them, right? And it's the same thing in the marketing world. We need to know who the patient is so that we can customize audiences and messages. Digital doesn't have to be one size fits all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. So knowing your patient. And when you know your patient, you know all of the different touch points. Digital's just one of the mix. And everything has to make sense. 
You can't have a digital campaign that serves a message. They're going to go to your website, and it's completely different. Or your PR strategy is not tied to what you're putting out through digital or through your website or anything else. They all have to work together. So when you know your patient, you know your patient journey, you know all the different touch points that they have, it's important that they all match. It all starts with business objectives. Hopefully you all have them. I don't mean marketing objectives, I mean real business objectives because as marketers, we're gonna be held accountable to helping our organizations reach those business objectives, so I hope they've shared them with you. Then you have the who are we trying to reach, how are we going to target messaging that means something to them, and then how do we put together a PR and marketing plan that weaves all of these elements together, a consistent experience, patient touch points that make sense, that reinforce what we want to reinforce. How many of you in your mission or vision statements have something about the quality of care you provide to your patients? I would, I would hope most of you do, yes. How many of you have something in your mission vision statement that talks about how much you care? Because we care. Yes? Congratulations, you're all generic. <laughs> because patients come in expecting that you know what you're doing. They expect that, that's why you're a health system. They also expect that you have some level of compassion or care. Because if you didn't, you're probably in the wrong business. So the thing that we put out, we are highly qualified and we care, is just like everybody else. So from a consumer standpoint, if I think of it like the Amazon checkbox, I'm going to ask you, what boxes do you check that your competitor doesn't? Why you? Why you, in a way that's memorable, compelling, easily understood, motivate me, make me want you? Give yourself a checkbox that the competitor doesn't have, whatever it is. Set yourself apart. It doesn't mean that quality of care and compassion isn't important. It is. It's critical. It's probably the most critical thing, but it does not make you unique. And you need to be unique. So step two, before we go creating a digital strategy and we're driving all of these potential patients to the resources we want to drive them to, we should probably do a quick checkup and make sure that we're ready for visitors. So before you host a big party, what do you spend the week before you host the party doing? Hiding your mess. Some people say cleaning up, but I will take hiding your mess. <laughs> I think that's a perfectly acceptable alternative. Shoving stuff underneath the, yeah. So assessing your digital health is important. Digital advertising is about driving to digital um, landing pages or digital resources. And if your house is not tidy, we probably shouldn't be inviting company over. So I'll give you an example of, of a client we worked with that was taking on a digital campaign, and this was where we wanted to direct people to. No, it's not. That's not where we want to direct people to. That's like the opposite of compelling. So we had to do... Step one, let's get the house in order. Let's make it more, this is a cardiology practice, but like, let's make it more compelling. Let's make it easy, because what do consumers want? Easy, I want information. Help me get the information I, I need easily. And then we also know, based on these very handy trend analysis, that how are most people viewing our websites today? Mobile, and that, that's gonna continue to trend that way. So it's no longer desktop first design. It's all mobile first design because people are viewing on mobile. And in fact, 77% will just bounce right out if it doesn't look good on mobile. So step two was here's what we look like now. We are not ready for company. 
But if it looks like this, yes. Come on in, make yourself comfortable. I have all the information you need. I can answer your questions. We have the resources. This is where you want to go. Now, step three is where things get into the digital side. Is that a red dot? It's a laser pointer. Yeah. Oh, it does. Nice. All right, I have the clicker now. All right, so everybody wake up. Uh, I'm going to come back here uh, to see if I can see my next slide so that I see if the back can see it. Anybody seen this before? What is this? All the options. What else? This is a pain in your ass, is what this is, right? This is our space. So this is the MarTech Top 5000, right? So uh, every year they update the MarTech Top 5000. They had to call it the Top 5000 instead of what it actually is. Anybody know how many platforms are actually are available to us as of April this year? Very, very close. 7,040, right? 7,040 as of April, so probably by now, I would imagine. Anyone want to guess how many there were back in ancient history, 2011, when they started this thing? 5,000, what was the question? 150? So you have seen it, or is that a guess? No one's actually ever guessed it before. Nice to know. Um, 150, right? So there's 150 platforms available to you back in 2011. Now, 7,040, they have to narrow it down to this, right? Uh, in the bio, they mentioned that I'm a, an adjunct professor at The Ohio State University. And yes, for those of you who hate The Ohio State University, you noticed that I said The Ohio State University. And yes, I will always say The Ohio State University. One of the classes that I teach is just this right here. Seven weeks, three and a half hours a week of just this. And do I know all these platforms? Where's my buzzer? Yeah. There it is. Do I know all these platforms? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But yet I'm charged with teaching MBA candidates how to navigate this space. Why? Because it's evolving so incredibly fast, we have to understand how to fit it all together. So how do I do that? The best way I can do it from an advertising perspective, from a digital advertising perspective is, here's the deal. This boils down to a couple of things. One, Google, Amazon, and Facebook are going to get 70 cents out of every dollar by the end of next year. You guys okay with that? All right. Keep three, a choice. Take the three of those, add Apple to it. They employ about 418,000 people, but their market value is equivalent to the GDP of France. Okay? So what does it really boil down to? Search, social, and programmatic. Right? If we want to take the vast majority of this space, primarily the advertising, again, because this MarTech thing has a lot of like data platforms and things on it, but the digital advertising space, that's really what it boils down to. So I'm not going to insult your intelligence and pretend like you don't know what SEM is, but then I insult your intelligence by spelling it out on the screen. Okay? But these are the things we're asked to do, so we do them. Right, so search engine marketing. Obviously, we know what it is. Can anybody spot how outdated this slide is? Somebody sees it already. No knowledge graph. Sometimes they choose to use it, sometimes they don't. What about the ads? What's outdated about the ads? It's not that many. It says ad. Maybe they're poorly executed, no, no extensions. How about the color of that ad? See that yellow marker right there? Three, four years old. What does it look like now? You do a search on your phone right now, you get an ad. That sucker right there is going to be a black outline. It's going to look exactly like organic content. Right? So they're doing a nice job. They went from yellow to, to green full, you know, filled in to green outline to now black outline, right? Why? Because search engine marketing is how Google does what? Makes a trillion dollars, right? It's how they make money. So, of course, we're talking about today, we're talking about those top paid ads. Um, I know that there are other folks talking about the, the rest of that search engine results page, so we'll let them talk about it. Here, I'll continue to insult your intelligence. So, how does this work? 
Stages of successful search, patient looks for things, your ad shows up in front of them, they click on your ad, visit your landing page, and they engage with you online, they contact you, right? Are you insulted? A little bit, all right, good. How many of you in here are physicians? Zero, thank God. All right, so let's empower each other to have conversations with these physicians. Why? Because no one actually calls them physicians, which is my slide out of order. I was supposed to talk into a different slide, all right? So healthcare, over time, since 2004, so this is uh, all searches done. What is the interest level since 2004 across the United States, right? So this is healthcare, a little bit of a spike there. Anything happened this year? It's around 2008, 2009, nothing, nothing important. Yeah, deal, right? So this is interest over time. How about physicians, right? We as consumers, we don't really like to call them physicians. What do we call them? Doctors, right? So this is the general population of the United States, what they're interested in, what are they looking for when they need something, but what kind of conversations are we having within our practices, right? We have to use certain types of terminology, even if it doesn't match necessarily the consumer behavior of what people are looking for and where they're looking for it. Emily mentioned the fact that we all have medical degrees. Why? Because of this, right? How about the rise in how to diagnose? Pretty meteoric, right? There's only a few charts that really look like this. One of them is the rise of near me, right? If I want ice cream, I want ice cream near me, right? If I want a car dealership, I want it near me. But it's a pretty meteoric rise as it pertains to how to diagnose. What are people, or where are people looking for how to diagnose themselves? Here's your top indexing states. You do business in one of these states, you should probably be aware of folks who are looking for how to diagnose and maybe creating some content right, and maybe doing some paid advertising to get in front of folks who are trying to <coughs> self-diagnose. What are they trying to self-diagnose? Lots of things, right? Cancer, how to diagnose MS. How about just diagnose me? This is somebody who's asking the computer to, to scan them <laughs> and diagnose. Just, all right, do it, diagnose me, right? Hey Siri, what do I have? Yeah. <laughs> what is this cough, right? So that's as far as we're gonna go into, into paid search. Why? Because we're asked to get you guys to think just a little bit differently about the strategy behind it, right? How do we inject some of the consumer behavior that we know is taking place into it? So let's talk a little bit about display ads. Do we know how they're capturing intent or creating intent, right? What we know is Google's job, arguably, depending on who you're talking to as of a few months ago, is to get you off the search engine results page, right? So we mentioned the knowledge panel, right? They're really pushing the knowledge panel thing. But arguably, and historically, they have said six seconds or less, we want you to look for what you're, the answer that you're looking for, six seconds or less, and then click on one of the options and go read about it. Because their job is what, or their mission is what? Take the world's information, organize it, make it universally accessible and applicable, right? Actionable. However, what do you do with the rest of your time? You go and you consume content. That in and of itself, marketers in the room, non-physicians, right? That in and of itself has to have its own focus and its own funnel and strategy, right? Because there are more and less targeted ways of doing things like targeted display. When we look at the ability to just pick an area, uh, being i.e. some geotargeting, all the way down through to folks who have come to your site and then, and then left, right? You guys know these terms. I'm not teaching anything new in terms of the terms, but how do you incorporate those into your strategy to both create intent, capture intent, and then have its own multi-touch point? How many touch points do we have before somebody makes a decision? 12, 14.8 across all industries, right? 12 in healthcare. So we've got these multiple opportunities. And I will tell you that the vast majority of the practices we sit with and the healthcare systems that we sit with, they've got a few of them down pat. 
but do they have all of them? Do we know all of them? Do we know where people are hanging out, what they're looking for, what they're interested in? Of course, I'm going to continue to insult your intelligence by showing you what a display ad is, right? Revolutionary concept. This is why you came to Orlando. So here you go, right? This is the opportunity to monetize real estate to get your message in front of the right person at the right time. And it's also important to recognize that when you are designing ads, there's a lot we want to tell, but this is where segmenting your audiences becomes super important because you have very little real estate. Again, this isn't news to anybody, but as we deal with the different ad sizes we need and what we're trying to get them to do, we have to think not only are we, where are we sending them, where is the content we're directing them to, is it consistent across all of our ads, and how can we target this market so that we can deliver the right, very clear, concise message to the right person at the right time? Do they matter? Does anybody care? Yeah, I think they do. Um, most people do. But here's the thing, if we're still in a space where we are hyper-focused on the click, we're a little bit behind. So for those of us in the room who are really hammering in on our, our, our partners who are executing campaigns for us on where's the clicks, we might be asking the wrong question, right? So things like view through uh, attribution, things like did I see a rise in direct traffic to my site, the impact of branded search terms, so forth and so on. So we have to make sure that we're caring for all of that. What we know, again, is that we can capture and drive intent through these channels, right? So it's important to know that patients are four times more likely to convert after engaging with a brand at least once in a given week. This is what I like to call the good old dating scene, right? Don't show up to a first date with an engagement ring. What do we do to somebody that shows up to a first date with an engagement ring? Restraining order. <laughs> right? Go away. Go away. You're creeping me out. So show up, entertain, inform, educate. Do that a couple of times. Then maybe you get the right to bring an engagement ring without having the cops called on you. And again, think back to that consumer decision-making. It's the awareness. It's that very early consumer decision-making. Amen. So uh, social media or word of mouth, as uh, of course we all like to call it in the room here. Why is it important? What are we talking about here? What is your preferred channel? So starting with uh, the, I'm not gonna give you the lead here, right? I'm gonna compare the lead. Starting with the top left, we all know that's Facebook. Going down, can we name these platforms? Okay. You guys know YouTube, you guys know Twitter, they were just in this room before us. Pinterest. Okay. Messenger. What's that? We got that one. WeChat. Somebody had it. TikTok. I will tell you that I did this six months ago with my MBA candidates. 45 people in the room. Only one person knew the TikTok logo six months ago. Tumblr. Not yet. What's this one? Somebody's going to guess it. Sorry? No one guessed penguin? Someone always guesses penguin. They see the penguin, they guess the penguin. It's not a penguin, it is a penguin. The, pengu the platform's not called penguin, it's called QQ. Come on, guys. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? I heard Reddit, so I'll move. How about this one? Nada? I'm not even going to try to say it. Uh, Qzone, anybody know these ones? How about this one? Someone typically get musically. All right, so I'm obviously tricking you guys, right? Except I'm not really. These are some of the widest, most widely used platforms on the planet, right? There was talk this morning's uh, presentation about uh, a little bit more about TikTok, so I decided to update my slides, right? So as of this morning, here's an article about TikTok, right? And what they're doing with their paid platform. 
how they're testing various things, how they have salespeople out in these marketplaces. There's a self-serve platform, but there's also, um, uh, in a lot of places, we still have to work with somebody, <laughs> God forbid, we have to work with somebody in order to get a TikTok campaign live. Why are we talking about this? This is why we're talking about this. So this is across the globe, the usage of the platforms that I just outlined for you there. So you can see Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, these are up here. Then you see WeChat, you see QQ, QZone, you see Sino Weibo, right? You see all these. These are the top used platforms in the world. How is it possible that a room full of marketers weren't able to articulate all those brands? How's that possible? Because they're not part of our reference group. So here's the world map of social networks as of January of 2019, right? So it was a bit of a trick question, as in if you're not in tune with global social media, but more of what we do or maybe the Western European side, then maybe we're not as in tune with what's going on. Now, I'll tell you that I was in the exact same boat as about a year ago when I had a student who came up to me who was from China and said, you're teaching social marketing and you're not talking at all about QQ. I'm offended. And I said, I'm really sorry that you're offended. I don't know what QQ is, right? So she explained it to me and it made me reframe my kind of reference group, right? To say, how do I expand this? Now, am I asking you to think globally about social platforms? Yeah, actually I am. Right? I'm absolutely asking you to think that way because where did TikTok come from? Overseas, right? So there's a quote that I love uh, from a, a fiction author, but it's the, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed yet, right? Meaning that what we know is coming is already happening. It's just a matter of whether or not we know if it's going to explode and if we're going to be an early adopter or if we're going to wait. Sorry, I see somebody taking a photo, so wait a second. But this is the reality of things, right? So this is the global thing. There's another slide that's cool if you want to look it up. These are um, Sprout Socials, where I got all this content. There's another one that's like the second most used platform. They go on down the list. Uh, really cool visuals. So we know that back in 2011, back to ancient history, right, that we had 26% reach on Facebook when we were to post and try to get content out to our followers. Where are we at today? Eight years later? Less than two, definitely, and into less than one, right? So this is why... To be honest with you guys, this is why I have a job, I'm being perfectly honest, right? Is because of the need for paid media, for the need for monetizing platforms. So for those of you who have been struggling to understand why Facebook would do that and make it more difficult for brands and people to engage with each other without paying, here's the direct correlation between that strategy and the stock price of Facebook. Decrease the organic reach, increase the requirement of paid to get to folks, and here's what it did for the value of their, of their business. Fair enough? We don't have to like it. We just got to know how it plays, right? So examples of what things might look like, right? When we talk about ad size, when we talk about message delivery, we need to continue to get more and more creative. I'm going to go back to insulting your intelligence for a second here because I've been asked to just go basic, right? So examples of how we message the right people at the right time. Did you want to in here? Okay. Good. Um, messaging the right people at the right time across channels, right? If we had more time, we'd go a little bit more into um, the specific audiences and what their expectations are on each of the social channels. But I think it's more important at this point, based on what we were asked to do, to give a little bit of a high level of how things should look differently and the rise of certain platforms. So how many of you in here are active on LinkedIn and actively paying to be there? Just a handful. Did you guys see that stat in the video that we watched? How fast is LinkedIn growing? equivalent to the entire population of Ivy League joining the platform every single day. And the requirement, age requirement has now been dropped to what? The teens, 13, right? So if we're not playing in that space, I've had a couple of conversations just in the past week with folks who are asking, how do I get to X, Y, and Z as it pertains to talking to docs and so forth and so on? 
we need to understand what that platform can and can't do for us with regards to getting to our audience and whether or not our audience is spending time on the platform and how to monetize it. Now, I do want to say that just because we know that this is kind of a pay-to-play space, that we're not going to get the sort of engagement that we used to see in 2011, that doesn't mean that your organic search and your content isn't important. It just means that it's more getting the house ready for visitors, and we still need to get the visitors there, right? So digital is sending out the invitation, but the house still has to look good when they come. So it's not that your content, not that what you're generating on these platforms isn't important and doesn't have value. It just has value later in the consumer decision-making process. So it's not going to bring people to your door. You need to invite them in. And Facebook says, here's how much your invitation is going to cost. But once they're there, it needs to look good. It needs to have information. It needs to be easy. They need to be empowered. So again, it's not that it's not important. It's just important in a different way. Uh, this particular chart cho shows you what healthcare is doing right now. So we talk about best practices. It's not necessarily this is what you should be doing. This is just based on what people are doing right now. And you can see how healthcare lines up with some of the other industries. Um, I think we can all pretty much agree that Snapchat probably is not the best solution for our physicians. Nobody wants to see their physician as a kitty. That's <laughs> um, an intriguing concept. So. It is. You know, today, I mean, a year from now, everything is on the table. There might be a whole kitty physician movement, for all I know. Um, but I do think it's important to really see how much green there is in the healthcare space. And what does that tell us? It tells us it depends on the content. This is where your content strategy, who are we, what makes us memorable, what do patients need from us, how do we marry the consumer behavior with what we're providing them because they want to be empowered and they're searching near me or diagnose this. or uh, So the way you use these platforms is really going to be dependent on your content strategy. So thinking like your consumer and applying that and maybe this best practices will shift in the next year or so. We kind of have to keep an eye on it. Which leads us into direct email as a strategy. Now, for our healthcare clients, we've had a lot of luck with direct email. Now, why is that? Is because people still go to their inboxes for information. And in a direct email campaign, you can have pre-qualified lists of people that you don't already have. So we know that type of persona, the intent, the demographics, the psychographics, but also the online behaviors of somebody that you want to reach. And we can deliver a message to them. And not only just a single little itty bitty message, we can send them information. We can send them content that's meaningful. And so when we look at the opportunity to send a direct email that maybe has four or five different topics and we can then apply how people react with that content to other strategies. So this is just some digital results from a direct email we sent on behalf of a healthcare client. And I would ask you, how valuable would this information be to your strategy? If you could say, here are five topics I would like to test, and I'm going to send them to people who are in a group that I would consider my top prospects. They have not engaged with our brand before. They're not part of our database. Let's send it. Let's see how they react. And you could say, these two topics had the highest open rates, the highest click-through rates, the highest engagement. Could you use that in other ways? Could you say, hey, this is some content we need to generate on our website. We need a video because I know from that very cool video we watched in the beginning that media consumption on video engagement's really high. So using this data to tell us and inform us what consumers want is really valuable. I love direct mail just for, for that piece, not only for its ability to drive new traffic, but to tell us what's working for the consumer. So let's assume that we do some things that work, 
right? Some digital things that get people to our site. What percentage of people take action the first time they're on a website? We have visitors? What's going on out there? It's an argument. Speaking of restraining orders. Um, how about 2%? How about 98% of people who go to a website don't convert the first time they go there? So what do we do with people like that? Stalk the hell out of them, right? Why wouldn't we? Uh, I heard the guy talk this morning um, about Amazon and leaving something in a shopping cart, and then they come back, and he's like, that's useful to me, because yes, I forgot that. I have differing opinions on that, because a lot of times I put things in the Amazon shopping cart, and like the reason I didn't hit buy was like, no, no, no I shouldn't do that, right? That's a bad idea, right? But absolutely, right? If somebody comes to one of your sites, we're talking to the people in the room here, right? It's not like they were looking for Little League baseball scores and stumbled there, right? So are we doing an effective job not just of following people around and stalking them like I highly advise, but of doing it based off of the subspecialty, based off of the location, and serving different messaging in the path to one-to-one -to, -one to make sure that folks who get that message don't just get your brand again because they came in once. They need to have a reason to come back, and it's got to be specific to what they were doing when they got there. So again, retargeting, not a, a fresh concept, but I will tell you that um, some of the campaigns that we work on that the, will have as many as 20 or 30 different sets of messaging just for site retargeting, just for the folks who are coming in um, to the sites. We separate online video and health because of the need for separation and delineation here, right? So with regards to what we're talking about in terms of the interest levels of folks and how they're self-diagnosing and the different things that we're doing, is it an important factor for all of us and should we be spending time and effort creating content? I would argue yes. So in 2012, here's the difference between the amount of time spent watching TV versus online video. Fast forward just to a couple of years ago, also ancient history in the digital space, but fast forward to 2016, we'll see not only that has online video surpassed, of course, uh, traditional TV viewer viewership, but what we'll see is the combining impact of it, right? There's more time being spent cross-platform, so we have to be cognizant of and have strategies in place for that. We see that there are three billion health-related searches on YouTube every single month. Let's take a moment to absorb three billion on YouTube. So if, everyone, if that was individual people, right, that'd be half of the world's population doing a health-related search every single month. So important, have to capitalize on it. It also has its own kind of path to purchase as it pertains to uh, folks who are looking for what you do, where you do it. Uh, treatment or procedure is 50% of, of the video types that are consumed. Uh, then on to symptoms and conditions, medical technology, uh, professional overview. Largest search engine in the world is Google. Second largest search engine in the world is YouTube. Who owns YouTube? Play by their rules, get rewarded. Don't play by their rules, don't do what they want you to do, which is create good quality content so that you can be found and you can provide answers to searchers. Don't get rewarded, right? Percentage of uh, searches every single day that Google has never seen before, 15% of all searches every day are first time searches, right? So how do we stay ahead of those trends? We know that if we do, that we'll be rewarded again with greater lift and brand recall when we combine these two things. So 53% lift when we do this effectively. Answer folks' questions everywhere that we possibly can and make sure that we do it both in good quality prose and also with good quality video production. And of course, we would have no strategy be complete without thinking about how are we going to measure our success before we implement the strategy. You need to reverse engineer the strategy to achieve the goal, but you also think, how do we measure along the way? And measuring outcomes, tracking data and results can happen in a lot of different ways, especially as you leverage some of these different tools, because remember, display is not about the click, 
SEM might be. We're achieving greater lift when we combine them, and then we also have video. So know what your measurements are before you go into it. Set those KPIs in advance. So different things you can measure. There obviously are a lot of analytics that you can pull from in-platform. Um, you can pull from your own website analytics. You can ask partners for data. Um, but then there's also those key performance indicators, those KPIs that you can look in terms of impressions and clicks and click-through rates and open rates and bounce rates and, and all of that good stuff. Um, it is important that you're able to measure the outcomes. Uh, many times marketing is a soft science, but one of the most brilliant things about digital is the ability for digital to give us numbers and to give us data that we can use. The data is really valuable to inform our strategies and our content, maybe even the softer side of the house. So here's a cardiology practice. Here's kind of their, their breakdown. They used SEM. They combined that with direct email. They added social advertising, and then they had that retargeting. So that was their strategy. That was their unique cocktail, so to speak. And at the end of the day, they were able to really drive traffic to their website. That was their goal. They had just redone their website. They wanted traffic. And you can see um, the, the significant impact year over year. The other thing, and this is where you as the actual providers need to help your partners, is they were able to track not only the unique phone calls that came from the campaign, but they were able to tie that back to the actual appointments made. And that is up to all of you in the room to help connect the dots because those are different systems. We can say, here's who we're sending you. Help us track them through the pipeline because that's how you make the case to your C-suite that this is working. When we were able to say, you got 243 new appointments and 80 of those were brand new patients. That's compelling to the C-suite. That's the data that connects the dots. We can give you click-through, we can give you impressions, we can give you all that, but I can't tell you unless that path is paved for us how many appointments were made as a result of the campaign. Here's an ortho practice. They focused on YouTube and social, so different set of goals uh, for them, different mix. Again, driving traffic to the website. The website was ready to go. Year over year, 22.17 increase in that traffic. Those are numbers that are pretty compelling. And this is a bariatric practice. Their, um, their combination was display and SEM. So they were using search in combination with brand, volume driving in combination with awareness driving tactics working together. And you can see there 242 unique calls. This resulted in their phone ringing and them having the opportunity to answer that question 242 times. HCIC Next is made possible by Greystone.net, the Healthcare Internet Conference, and Touchpoint Media. To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health.